Well, you know me, Henrietta. I'd rather fancy a Sunday roast at the Brindu. Two for the Brindu. Well, that's right. I won't look back once I find a good Sunday roast. I simply won't look back to the Brindu. House bubbles? Good. We'll see you this evening. Love and kisses. Hello, Nigel. Yes, sir. You have a phone call, sir. Patch it through, Nigel. Yes, sir. Douglas Day. The man with the hat. Pardon me. The man with the hat. Yes, yes, I remember you, sir. The man with the hat. I appreciate your getting in touch with me. The man with the hat. Yes, it is he. It was I. I won't look back, it's true. I wore a hat. The man with the hat. Yes, thank you, sir. The man. Nigel. Yes, sir. Show in the next saxophone player, please. Yes, sir. If you could play a CDAB for me in succession. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nigel. Yes, sir. Could you please get me Dr. Frisk on the line? Yes, sir. Yes, Dr. Frisk. Yes, yes. Well, I promised I would not look back. I I won't look back. Yes. The man with the hat. Yes. Yes. In Ullapool. Yes, I, I felt cleansed. I felt free. Free as the ocean, free as the wind. Yes, this cleansing. Right. Thank you. Right. Nigel, do you like to read a poem today? Yes, sir. You're on. This is a poem by Nigel called Rocket. And it's dedicated to the Wild Bird Fund of New York City on 87th and Columbus. Rocket, not every pigeon is like Rocket, who perched on my shoulders for a good half hour while I worm-washed plastic syringes, ochre feeding tubes, and their brethren of plungers. Rocket, whose nimble, strong, bubblegum-colored feet delicately dug their claws into the back of my neck when I bent to pick up a stray syringe. I felt like a pirate and wanted Rocket home. I envisioned him taking his position on my shoulder as he oversaw me flipping burgers. The flowers would be out in the garden and the patio filled with utterly civilized guests and friends who would not for a minute regard my avian accoutrement as très gauche or unseemly. City dwellers they. God bless them all. When I came in the next week and inquired about Rocket, home with gentlemen who first brought him in, Jill and Leo and Trixie have taken the places of so many thousands before. Four defrosting baby white rats lie lined up like sardines on the table before me. Soon, Ariel will cut them up with surgical scissors in order to create bite-sized pieces for the fierce red tails housed in the spotless stained steel crates in the waterfowl room upstairs. Have you ever been within a foot of a hawk? 
remarkable brown-white plumage on its proud chest, piercing yellow eyes, claws like razors, beak like polished onyx. Standing stock still, I bade my obeisance and left. Thank you, Nigel. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Next up, Mr. Ross. Good morning, Mr. Ross. Hey, Douglas. Hey, Nigel. Mr. Ross, we're up to chapter 16. Anything to say about this chapter before we roll on? Um, well, this chapter does veer a bit more so from the conventional reality that most of us have been used to so far in this book. Hmm, intriguing, Mr. Ross. We'll see what happens whenever you're ready. Yam on. Thank you, Douglas. Hard Water, Part 2, Alabaster Dreams, Chapter 16. Goodall wakes to the cock's crow and says, Let's skedaddle. A fly buzzes against the window. Ruth comes in to check on us. Says her mom and pop would be out for a while after supper tonight so we could get back to our reading of The Flaming Terrapin by Roy Campbell. By the look on my face, she could tell we'd come to a hurtful decision. No, 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 she wailed. I don't want to stay here. I want to go with you. We couldn't say much more. We assured her we would always carry a piece of her with us. And when she got older, she could come visit us. Maybe we'd come back and visit too. Before she left our room, she made us promise to put our addresses in the drawer of the nightside table, and then she hugged us both hard and long and wept full sore. We scribbled our addresses on the back of an old postcard and laid it face down on top of a stack of others. Goodall and I then snuck down the back stairs, out past Blaze's doghouse and into the woods heading west. I confess... I heaved up and wept full sore as the house and then the barn grew smaller and smaller in the glimmering distance. I watched the two deserters trumble off into the woods. It struck me as mildly strange I would most probably never see them again. I would miss Ruth's reports on the soldier's recovery. She would tell me things about the man. He's from Cincinnati and the other's from Chicago. He's a farmer and the other's a city boy. They both miss their sweethearts, though I think Goodall has more than one. I'm reading them the flaming terrapin. It struck me then, as it does now, that one can read their way back to health. One can, in essence, cure oneself through reading, or even through writing, I suppose. I hope Ruth sees this. I hope she takes this new sadness and channels it away through reading and writing of her own story. That would be good. Christ Almighty, I penned my own Bildungsroman years ago. Quite possibly you read it? called Out the Dog House. By the late afternoon, the December chill gnaws at our limbs. 
We spy a farm in the distance we make for the hayloft as always. It's bone cold. We surround ourselves with hay. Gosh darn it, I think. Why are we not back in our cozy room and our cozy beds at Ruth's house? Why are we freezing out here in the hay? Halfway through the night, another traveler arrives and climbs his way up into the loft, lingers above us briefly, carefully lays down his saber and concocts a cocoon for himself. All the while, the stranger softly mutters, Cold as death warmed over out here. Cold as death warmed over. In the morning, we formally meet a one-eared chap from Kentucky named Martin J. Kilkenny, a rebel gray with a Union saber slung over his shoulder. Top of the morning to you, boys. Are we still alive? I can just about feel my fingers, my toes, my legs. Yep, I feel the same deathly coldness, friend. We need some sun today. I'm going to jump inside that house, wood smoke circling through the sky. I can smell it too. Farmer's up and about and I reckon he'll be in to milk soon. Goodall isn't saying anything yet. He's got his coat wrapped around his head Bernoose style. I figure we covered about ten miles yesterday, but I'm still hankering for Ruth's lodging. W.R. unveils himself with a coat, wraps it around his person and says, Stop thinking that, Arthur. We can't go back. Well, will you listen to this bullshit artist? He of the dreadful midnight monsters? Yes, says Goodall. The beds were cozy and the child was gifted, but you want to see your own Ruth, right? Your orchard, your farm? Well, you ain't going to see them if you keep holing up in farmhouses listening to farm girls tell stories about turtles all day. Surely, that ain't going to get you any closer to home. Kilkenny breaks the silence. See, I'm a rebel, see, and I've got to get my bones back to sweet home Kentucky. Pshaw. Ain't but one side the all of us is on. When I look at you, I don't see blue, and when you see my gray, you all look away. In my opinion, each and every one of us has got to come to his own terms with living, dying, and the in-between. And what you got, and what we got right here and right now, boys, is a classic case of the in-between. We ain't blue and we ain't gray. We just men looking to live another day. I reckon twelve more days of tramping will get me where I need to be. An old farmer ambles into the barn with his two young grandsons and granddaughter and commences milking. After an hour they finish and we three trundle down from the hayloft and move on through the open country. Alongside a swelling stream we spy a great blue heron. Its thin neck extends, its piercing gold eye regards us, and its beak bobs and weaves as we tromp on. Later, Kilkenny spots a red tail high in the sky perched atop a poplar tree. Three crows come out of nowhere to harass the young hawk until it crosses the meadow and takes up its perch in another oak. We trundle up through the meadow until we stand yards below the red and regal bird of prey. The sun continues to warm us as we walk and then our noses pick up more wood smoke. Sure enough, in a little clearing in the woods, we see people beckoning. They stand around a heaping fire and they beckon to us. Hello, brothers. Hello, brothers in arms. And welcome, welcome. We are here to welcome you and invite you into the brotherhood of mesmeric mendicant muskrats, formerly known as the dynamically drawled druids. 
We exist in order to heal, deal, and free will, and we will do unto you as you have done unto others, and we will free you from any pre-existing conditions or contractual agreements you may have burdened yourself with elsewhere in the heavy lonesome landscape of devilish truth and dares. We are imbued with the capacity to deliver you a most indelible experience on this green earth, and we invite you to join us in the 108th Order of the Mesmeric Mendicant Muskrat, otherwise known as Seventh Heaven. Come, come, join us by the fire which heals and feels, or as my colleague here, Santa Dosis Osis, says, feels and heals. We offer you warmth, spiritual sustenance, and strength. All of what we can give you, we will give you. Look around at all the damaged people with damaged psyches who sing our sacred songs. They and we have been what you've been through, gentlemen. We have found the cure in the fire's core. Come, stand around the fire's healthful heap. Stand and stare into the burning cauldron of orange, red, white, and blue, and you will feel the healing heat invade your cold, cold bones. Come, come closer yet, and join our circle of susurrous souls. All of us have been what you've been through, and we have added a piece of wood to the flames. Here is a log for you, you, and you. Join us, please, in our refrain. Lift this log and place it on the fire. Lift this log and place it on the fire. And with the lifting, let go of all past rememberings of past impossible pains. Let you let us join you in joining us. As we will watch out for you, keep you, and heap upon you health, spiritual wealth, and time everlasting. Time to do what needs be done. Time to feel what needs be felt. Time to greet your neighbor as yourself. Time to trot down magical streets in the magical shimmering rain. Time to love the dove above of peace, love, and understanding. Now if you'd please place your logs in the midst in the midst of the burning pit and join in and sit with the body sattva's latest hit om shanti 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 om shanti 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 om peace 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 Congratulations, my brothers. You and all your ragged glory are hereby inducted into the beneficent order of the mighty mesmeric mendicant muskrats, formerly known as the dynamically droll druids. Now you are not alone. We are blessed with a worldwide organization, so whether you find yourself in Belarus or Biarritz, we will be there for you. You will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, moonrise slash sunrise ad infinitum. You will don the munificent pelt of the mesmeric mendicant muskrat. You will feel and you will heal. You will eat teriyaki and bibe sake and munch mincemeat pie. You will sometimes cry. You will often smile. You will be kind to all beings. You will embrace the orderliness of the order. Please, pop a squat next to the fire. We will soon be roasting rabbits given to us from the God above, wielded by the wily women, divided amongst us by parameters preordained. Thank you, Mr. Ross. Multima, I believe you'd like to introduce a musical selection before we sign off. Multima Page, all the rage. Today's musical selection is Won't Look Back by Geowolf.
Booksmart.